number one thing that I see getting in the way is uh, the need, the, the drive for more money, more um, wealth, so to speak. And I think a lot of times when people start companies, they have a vision of they want to do something that they're passionate about and they want to share their passion and they want to be, they come from a place of giving. Mm. And I've seen this over my 30 years with my telecom company. They come from a place of giving. Somehow things, and they come from this place where they want, they, they care about their employees and everything is set up, you know, in the beginning that way. As a company begins to take off and that money starts, they start printing money like the U.S. Mint does, they, there seems to be a shift. They sometimes bring in people into their organization that don't mm. line up with their culture when they first started the company, wow. but they can do other things, right? Um, they they start to veer away from actually their mission and what their focus and what they were passionate about in the beginning. And it sometimes becomes revenue, you know, fixated on. And so, um, that's what I see a lot. I see a lot of disconnect. Um, there's so many companies that do so many things that actually don't set their employees up for success, but they really set them up for failure. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back here today with episode 86, our special guest, Rochelle Marie Lawson. The title today is Live the Life of Your Dreams, Lessons from a Badass Woman. Feeling stuck or lacking passion in your life? Wondering what it takes to live the life of your dreams? Do you want some new ideas to enhance your wellness, your wisdom, and wealth? Well, you've came to the right place because we have Rochelle Marie with us. She's got a fascinating background, registered nurse. Ayurvedic health practitioner, holistic wealth and health consultant, best-selling author, speaker, radio show hostess, blogger, you name it, Rochelle Marie is doing it. And she's going to tell you some of the hows, whys, and ways to get there yourself. She's going to talk about leadership. She's going to talk about establishing the three pillars of healthy living, wellness, wisdom, and wealth. She's going to talk to you, and this is the big one different ways to navigate your fears so that you can live life in a fearless way. Get ready to transform your life and your life experience with Rochelle Marie Lawson. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I am so thrilled to be back here today. We have another amazing guest. I know the conversation will be amazing. We have Rochelle <laughs> Marie Lawson with us. And she has got such a fascinating journey. She's going to share more in a little bit. She's a registered nurse. She's an Ayurvedic health practitioner, holistic health and wellness consultant, international best-selling author, speaker, radio show hostess, entrepreneur, founder of her own business, multiple businesses. She's the president of Blissful Living for You. Uh, she's going to share some time today about her, her event coming up called The Unstoppable Woman. 
Uh, she Her book is called Intro to Holistic Health, Ayurveda Style. She's got a blog. I mean, she's doing it all, creating it all. Uh, barring a word from a book I just finished, she's clear to me, uh, Rochelle is a badass. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if she's a, a Buddha and a badass, the book I read, but yeah. I know she's a badass just based on what she's achieved. So welcome, Rochelle. Thank you, you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I hope no you're pressure. I hope you're ready for this badass. <laughs> no pressure. You just have to live up to being a badass. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I like to bring the I like to bring the bar high at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. So, Rochelle, give us a little bit of your story that brings us here today. Okay, so I'll have to be really quick. But um, at the age of 22, I started my first business, which I still have today, a telecommunications installation company located in the heart of Silicon Valley, good old San Jose, California. And I started that business because I had an electrical engineering degree and I couldn't get hired by any of those major companies in Silicon Valley back in the 80s. Um, wow. And so in the process of being turned by, down by, and I'm talking about major, IBM, Intel, Hewlett Packard, FMC, all these big companies. In the midst of that, I thought I gotta do something. So I had already been married for four years and I decided to go back to school and I got a nursing degree. But in the context of doing that, because I just didn't have enough to do, uh, <laughs> I started the business. I was in nursing school and the telecom business was with, was with my husband. And so um, it just took off right away. We had very large customers. And so I did that during the day. I helped him. I would run cable. I'd be up in the ceilings and doing all kinds of stuff. And this was before Internet. So we just had phones. And then at night, I played the superhero, She-Ra, Wonder Woman, um, emergency room trauma nurse at night, taking wow. care of and doing flight, you know, trauma and, and just all kind of stuff. I have, and I have no idea when I slept, but you know, when you're young, <laughs> right. you're invincible. At least I thought I was in my mind. So, and that's kind of how, where I came today. And I went on and got advanced degrees in both areas. I got an MBA from UCLA. And then I went on to get a master's degree in Ayurvedic health to be an Ayurvedic nurse practitioner. Wow. So, yep. What a cool journey. I love that you were, you were interested in actually creating something. So you didn't, you didn't have enough in there in the, in the nursing school, but you created this, this company that you still have today, all day cable. And it's, it's awesome to see that you have that and you're, you're there part-time in California and part-time in San Antonio. Yes. Yeah, it's um the part-time thing has been about really about the last four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, I say the two businesses that I have kind of kind of strokes both sides of me. I'm the only girl in my whole entire family, surrounded always by male wow. energy. And so the telecom business just kind of fit with that aspect. I'm a huge force fan. I mean, <laughs> you know, all of that. I was a tomboy when I was a girl, a little girl. and um, But the telecom business kind of, strokes that side and then the whole nursing and taking care of people and the whole well-being i've been doing that since i was a kid anyways wow. um that strokes my feminine side i'm just a i think a natural caretaker that's just a badass chick that's all <laughs> <laughs> awesome big heart big mind one thing i'd love to hear rochelle clearly you're passionate you're a passionate person if you can't if you can't see her you can hear it <laughs> What I always wonder is, like today and back in the day, do you feel like you were are today and were then mission driven, or were you just in action? 
know what I mean? Like, did you have clarity of your mission back then? And what does that mission today look like? So that's an interesting question because I would say, no, I didn't have clarity. I was more in action. But when I was 13, uh, me and my girlfriends, it was a hot summer day in San Jose, California. We were playing this game and it was it was kind of called imagine. It's not that's not the name, but it was imagination game. And when it got to your turn, you're supposed to say what you would be doing 10 years from then. Mm. So um, actually, I was 12 because I was in the eighth grade. So 10 years I had said I would have my own business. I'd be driving a Mercedes. I'd be living in this condo area that I wanted to live in in San Jose that, you know, where I finally made it. I would have all these things. And <clears throat> I wrote it down that night and I never thought about it again. Well, when I turned 22, I did. I had a business. I had that Mercedes. I lived in that condo. It was really interesting, but it wasn't like I planned anything out. You know, I graduated from college when I was 18, I mean, um, 20, and I just had no, you know, I'm, I my degree originally from college was communications, and then I went on to get the electrical engineer degree. And so I would say I was more in action, looking at the way I handle things today, I'm very spontaneous <laughs> and I do have a plan in my head and I do have it written down as like my blueprint. Um, but I can wax and wane as I need to, so to speak. I could be like Stephen Curry on the court and you know, <laughs> do that wicked crossover and go the other way, post up and hit that three and make sure that everything is successful if I need to. Um, but that I think that's what has also made me a phenomenally um good emergency room trauma nurse because mm. I could go with whatever was happening with me. I could go with the flow of it and be very calm, cool, and confident. Oh, that's so good. Uh, yeah. And so I think, I, I, I don't know, but definitely I say I have a plan now and I have a focus and a target and a blueprint. But back when I started, it was really just action, just being spontaneous. <laughs> What's interesting, you, Seth Curry, since you're a sports per first person, we'll stay with this. That's my baby. Well, so as we talked offline, very familiar with Seth Curry from the other side as growing up as a Cleveland Cavs fan. But you talk <laughs> about that move of his, which is signature, the crossover and the step back three. That is incredible. And he clearly has gifts, but he's also honed that skill. Yeah. So can you talk about for you, like, what are some of those gifts and what's been the honing process? to turn those gifts into something magical? I think, um, for one, it's something I discounted for a long time, but I think I'm a natural born leader. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know it. I've been told it many times when I was young, but I didn't realize what that actually meant. And so I'm also very intuitive and uh, very gifted in that way, whereas I can or projecting that will happen prior to them happening. And so I think because, and I'm spontaneous, so I'm not like so fixed that, okay, I've created this plan and I'm going to follow it through all the way. If I see that things aren't working, I can spontaneously move on a dime, so to speak. And so I think because of that, all the people that I've been surrounded by that have actually helped me to educate and become the person I am today, bestowed wisdom upon me. I think because I already had those, those natural born talents that the wisdom that was bestowed upon me just helped me to um, absorb them, embrace them, and then to really step into owning it. And mm. 
I have to say, it wasn't all me. I was, I've been surrounded by some really um, intelligent, very giving people. And I've been put in positions, though even I was, may have been really young, um, there were positions of leadership had to bestow that kind of, you know, wisdom and, and character to lead in a positive manner. So I, I always love challenging our guests. So I'm going to challenge you with this question and All go right. deeper. You said natural born leader. And there's the ongoing discussion, are leaders born or can you build leaders? I happen to believe we can build leaders. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I believe that is when people say naturally born, that to me means when you came out of the womb, you had these skills. And and I guess I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. It tells me that during, and as we're raised in our lives and growing up in our lives, we acquire these things. So I'm curious, if you look at your life journey where did those nat- so-called natural-born leadership skills come from your life journey? Um, from my life journey. Well, let me see. Um, for one, I do agree with you on both parts. I think people have natural gifts. And I want I may, it may be saying a natural-born leader is not the correct terminology. It might be just gifts that become available to them sooner than they are others. And two, people can learn these things as well. Yeah. Okay. So I, I agree with both parts. You can be naturally gifted and you can learn to have these gifts if you are surrounded with the right environment, the right people, yeah. all of that. For me, I think um, I remember being the age of four and having to um, take care of my, my baby brother who was an infant um, because he has severe asthma and I would help, you know, help doing that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the age of eight, when it was just me and him, you know, sometimes, you know, mom had to step out or do something. Um, and my dad was working and I was very responsible. So, you know, it'd be gone 30 minutes, but I would sit there and I'd be able to take care of him. Or if we were at our relative's house, nobody, they would freak out about his asthma. And I knew how exactly what to do at a very young age. So I think I was like, how did I know that? Well, probably watch, but I also had this natural in, in thing inbred to care, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if I saw, I'm very humanitarian. So if I saw an animal hurt, I'm going to try to stop to help that animal. If I saw an accident on the freeway, I'm going to stop to try and help, you know, um, and I could share a story about that. But I think as I just went down my journey, I think people were placed in my life at the time to help me develop characters. Now I'm type A to the hilt, um, what we call an Ayurveda, a Pitta, and that means I'm full of fire. Fire. So from <laughs> zero to a hundred, to not a hundred, 150 real quick. Um, I'm very, I'm a perfectionist. So I have all those traits as well. I have learned to utilize the fire in a much more calmer, effective and efficient manner over the years. But I just think I just think that people have been placed on my path to help me refine the things that I needed to refine and know how to handle that power, that energy, as well as to bring out the things that they saw in me that I didn't see in myself or I discounted, such as leadership qualities and, you know, those type of things. So well, I think what's amazing what's there amazing. is being able to step out and say that the it was the empathy and it was the caring for other people that actually drove a lot of your leadership. To me, that's like, wow, you know, Jeff, I talk about hard led leaders, all, leadership all the time. And so seeing that developing in a young age and saying, okay, that's where it's coming from. It's not just the desire for power or wanting to have something over anybody else, but leading with heart. I love that. 
you know, a funny story is uh, I wanted to be a singer and an actress. When I was growing up, <laughs> Diana Ross was, Diana Ross, I want to be Diana Ross. <laughs> Sad thing is I can't sing and I was so darn shy that <laughs> So, you know, that was never going to happen. I don't believe that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I was. And so it's kind of funny how, you know, I've been put on in the forefront of things again. And I have to say that, um, you know, the classes in college where they make you do all that group stuff. I was always the person, well, why don't you do the presentation for the group? And I like, well, I really don't like talking in front of people. Okay, that's a forest thing. And then um my Catholic church priest back in the day wanted me to read at his lecture where there was like 2,500 people, people at his mass. And I'm like, well, why'd you select me? He says, cause you're absolutely perfect for it. And I said, well, I can't do it. He says, yes, you can. And I said, well, what if I say the words wrong? He says, well, you know what? Just say it with confidence because nobody's going to be looking at the book. They're going to be looking at you. And if you say it with confidence and so, you know, it was like, okay. <laughs> so it's, again, it's just these things that have put me that have been put upon my path and these people that, brought things out of me that I didn't even know I could do. Um, and it's just been a beautiful journey. Just beautiful. Wow. You know, they say your kids always teach you stuff. Well, I got, I got four kids and, and my two youngest ones always teach me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, I, I want to <laughs> dig deeper into the leadership piece. Craig talked about, you know, leading from the heart and things like that. It's certainly something we talk about a lot on this podcast in our lives. And I continue to be curious about this. In fact, I had a conversation this morning about it. When you look around, at least let's talk about the U.S. I don't really pretend to know what the cultures are in other parts of the world. But in the U.S., you look at leadership. I see a lot of gaps. I think I see a lot of leaders who say they're leading focused on their people, but I don't see that in action. <laughs> what are you seeing in leadership? And and what do you think's getting in the way of that leadership that seems to be needed today? So um, the number one thing that I see getting in the way is uh, the need, the, the drive for more money, more um, wealth, so to speak. And I think a lot of times when people start companies, they have a vision of they want to do something that they're passionate about and they want to share their passion and they want to be, they come from a place of giving. Mm. And I've seen this over my 30 years with my telecom company. They come from a place of giving. Somehow things, and they come from this place where they want, they, they care about their employees and everything is set up, you know, in the beginning that way. As a company begins to take off and that money starts, they start printing money like the U.S. Mint does, they, there seems to be a shift. They sometimes bring in people into their organization that don't mm. line up with their culture when they first started the company, wow. but they can do other things, right? Um, they, they start to veer away from actually their mission and what their focus and what they were passionate about in the beginning. And it sometimes becomes revenue, you know, fixated on. And so... Um, that's what I see a lot. I see a lot of disconnect. Um, there's so many companies that do so many things that actually don't set their employees up for success, mm. but they really set them up for failure. And uh, it, it's it's very sad to see. It's it's very different than how when I was, you know, had my first job in the late 70s, early 80s. It was, it's very sad to see because to me, it seems like back then, those large corporations, even the ones that wouldn't hire me in Silicon Valley, but they seem to have a more caring, the, the company seems to more be more family versus, you know, 
employee, employer, employee, this is the way it is. They seem to be, they seem to be more receptive to the input of their employees, which in turn, the employees made them feel valued and then made them work harder. You know, they wouldn't work, they wouldn't take sick time. You know, it's just, so it's just, I think it's just completely different, but I think the disconnect is because money equals to some people power and they want that power and, mm. uh, and, and they just veer away from what's truly the essence that that's in their heart. Interesting insights. Well, and I, it's interesting you bring that up as you were talking, Rochelle, a, a conversation popped in my head a few years ago. I went to Spain and walked something called the Camino de Santiago, and I met a man from Holland. And what I remember about him first was when you're on the Camino, when you meet someone, usually they'll say, where did you start? Do they want to see if you start in the beginning or in the middle, whatever? Mm-hmm. So I said, where did you start? He said, I started in Holland. I said, well, I know you're from Holland. I'm from the United States. Where did you start? He said, no, I walked from Holland. <laughs> He walked like 500 miles to get to a 500 mile walk. <laughs> wow. well, oh my God. He was prepping, prepping himself. Oh my God. Well, but I was talking to him about his passion and he and his wife ran a, uh, like a group home for people with autism to help them learn how to live in the world. But what he told me is this was his second time on the Camino to enjoy it. The first time he had to get away because he was so overwhelmed by his life because the business kept growing and it basically a nonprofit. Right. And he said, we ended up having like 20 providers and counselors. And he said, I wasn't having any fun anymore. All I was doing was one in the business. I just really wanted to help people. And I knew we were, but I wasn't filling myself up. And he said, so we changed the business. We went back to small. We let people go over time. And we, now we have a, a group home in our own home. We serve 16 people. And I said, that was so cool because I'm sure he was making more money there. So it grew, but he said, I, that's not why I did this. And so I, I was really honoring him for saying, I got here, but I'm going to choose to do it. What makes, fills me up and gives me joy. Um, yeah, I can relate to that. I can totally relate to that. Particularly with my telecom company, there was a, a period, uh, like I said, that company fell into having very large, um, customers right off the bat. And we fell into the financial institution arena as well as transportation. So major, major players. And there was a time period it's like, oh, probably was coming up on maybe 29 years old and business is seven years old. And there was major contracts. And we literally had got to that point where to print money. I mean, we're doing work all over for one client handling all their West Coast, um, inst- Western region installations. So the Western part of the United States, as well as uh, Illinois, uh, the state of Illinois and the state of Michigan. And then we were also doing stuff over on the East Coast. So we just, you know, it was great. But um, I can totally relate because my thing was always to give my customers the best service possible and to have that, to, to let them feel that no matter where, what project manager they were, who they were, they could always reach out to, to a direct connect, which was, which was my husband at the time. And um, I just pulled, we just pulled way back and, and it just got, and it was, it was starting to get away from, you know, like it was just getting crazy. Um, We pulled way back. We still handled the customers and took care of their needs, but we pulled back and scaled back and got it to that nucleus. um, That's more loving, more family oriented. We had this, our very first employee um, actually retired 
after working for us for 27 years. And, you know, along that time, we stuck with him like thick and thin because he he was a world, I'm not a World War II vet. He was a Vietnam veteran. He had some, some he was a gunner on a helicopter. So, you know, he had some PTSD stuff, but he was a great worker and he was a great guy. And so over the course of the, that time period, you know, I came to really love him. Um, valued his uh, dedication. And so we bought him a couple vehicles, a couple trucks. He told the first one, but we bought him another one because he was just that, you know, it's just that kind of guy, right? He was so happy when he retired. He had started losing his teeth. He retired, I think, like at 70. He started losing his teeth, but he had enough money in his retirement plan that we set up for him that he got all new teeth, <laughs> you know, and was able to go move up to a uh, the uh, Auburn area to take care of his mom who was, you know, still living at the time. So it was like, it's like, I totally get it. I totally, totally get it. You know, it may not be for everybody, but I think in order for me and the people that I surround myself with, in order for us to stay balanced, and I'm always, always, always so focused on health and well-being. It's our yeah. greatest asset, right? In order for us to have that, we have to really be doing what our purpose is and what's in our heart. And when you do that, when you tap back into that, it's amazing. People that struggle with weight loss, all of a sudden the weight comes off. People that have anxiety, all of a sudden they don't have anxiety attacks. It, it, it's a trip. When you truly step back into your true greatness and not be led by external forces, it's like a new awakening, a new, it's like a new birth. <laughs> but without coming through the, you know, the canal, so to speak. But yeah, it's a great feeling. Well, one of the things you were talking about there is talking about the veteran. And I know that in prior conversations, you were, you had talked about what you had had some insights about some female veterans and how they're really an underserved segment. Um, yeah. Can you share some of the leadership you've had around that and what you're doing to, to help there? Yeah. So um, I've had, you know, um, lots of uh, several, quite a few family members serve in the military. I had my, um, you know, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather served in World War II down in the South Pacific. He was in the Navy. I had my um, dad's twin brother. My uncle served in Vietnam. I had my another uncle served in Vietnam. And then um, with recent, I've had several nieces and nephews, great nieces and great nephews be in the military. I have good friends that are females that have been in the military and done some phenomenal things. And so once I moved to San Antonio, quote, the military city, I started noticing more presence of the military, but not of females, even though the females are here. Hmm. And then I started watching the commercials on TV. And these commercials are playing all over the nation. And they were the wounded warriors and the veterans, but they were all men. They only showed hmm. men. Then I started thinking about, well, when I heard the word veteran, what was, did a woman pop in my head? No, when I hear the word veteran, a man pops in my head. And so I'm like, what the heck? So with my Unstoppable Woman Summit, I wanted to find an organization that I could give part of the proceeds to to help them, you know, help others, so to speak. And I sought out and I wanted it to be um, a very professional nonprofit, not somebody as a nonprofit, but they pocketing the money. You know what I mean? OK. And so I reached out to this organization called the Women's Veterans Alliance and asked them, hey, can I? I'm having these events. I want, I want to give you money from them. Is that possible? Because I, I want to help women vets and I want to know the deep. And so what she shared with me, she was a woman vet. 
served in the Navy, what she shared with me blew my mind because I know I already knew they suffered. But she shared with me that um, women veterans have such a very hard time transitioning from military life to civilian life for mm. several reasons. They lose their support system. Um, and that means childcare and uh, other ancillary things that they have available to them that are not always accessibly available to us when we're just civilians, right? Mm. Um, homelessness. She told me statistics of women vet veterans that are homeless are up to 80, sometimes up to 82%. Again, it's not anything we see, not anything we hear about, but it's a real, real, real factor. Mm. And she said, if you go through some of these major cities, I'm gonna particularly pick like San Francisco, Detroit, Chicago, uh, some of these to Houston, some of these people that you see that are women are actually homeless are actually women vet. Wow. You know, they also suffer from PTSD and they also get maimed in action. And they also she right, they're also in combat right next to the their fellow soldier brother, so to speak. Right. But we don't hear their story. And there were so many other, you know, the finding a job, what they may have done in the military. It's not really a real job in the real world, so to speak. You know, they may have did some kind of widget, you know, something, but it doesn't exist in the real world that we live in today. And so to, to, they have to acquire new skills to be able to compete or to even be able to get a decent employment, even mm -hmm. though they're a veteran that served our country. And so that is near and dear to my heart. And yeah. women, um, supporting women, is really near and dear to my heart. I support everyone, but when it comes to women, um, because I know what I've had to go through um, is very near and dear to my heart, so. Wow. So I, I wanna, you, I know we'll talk more about Unstoppable Women. You used a phrase that we've had, uh, had a guest recently talk about it, and the phrase is well-being. And what I observed was that, I don't know that I heard that phrase 20 years ago, and maybe not even 10 years ago, I heard a lot of things about healthier workplace and all that. But talk to us about your perspective on well-being, like what it is, and, and the work you do around that. What, is, what does well-being mean to us? So, Jeff, are you talking on the individual level or the organizational level? Or both. <laughs> Just a question. Okay. So, um, well-being for me, and, and it goes to, it goes, falls completely in line with the principles of Ayurveda. And just to give a real quick background with Ayurveda, it's a holistic medical modality that originated in India between 3,500 to 7,000 years ago. They say it is the precursor to all medication, medi <laughs> medicine that we practice today, even Chinese traditional medicine. Hmm. And so um, Chinese traditional medicine is very similar but because there's different herbs that were available in that region versus in India, that's where it kind of, mm. okay. And so with an Ayurveda, in order for someone to be completely healthy and well, it involves being, having well-being in your mind, body, and spirit. And it involves being balanced in those areas. And anytime that we're not in balance or we have an imbalanced state within us in either of those areas, mind, body, spirit, we open up a whole gateway portal for illness and disease to come into our lives and manifest. So well-being for me means that that complete arena of mind, body, and spirit is healthy and well. 
whatever is in your mind will be reflected in your body, whether you choose to pay attention or not. And every particular illness and disease, before it becomes that shouting, screaming illness and disease, before it becomes that way, it has been talking to us for a long time. We just haven't been paying attention to it. So, um, you know, you see it manifest um, in a lot of things. You know, someone might, I, I'm going to use my own story. Suffered for 17 years with horrible abdominal pain for 17 years. Uh, from the age of eight to the age of 25, suffer, suffer, suffer. It didn't start out real bad. It was a little bit, little bit, little bit. And of course it got discounted because I was a kid. And then when I started complaining, then I started getting taken to the doctor and all of this. But it wasn't until it became so profound that I really started paying attention myself at a young age and as a teenager that I need to do something. I need to make some changes here because something is going on in my body and I think it was reflective a lot of my hit to mind, my mind full of fire and my, um, yeah, my personality. And as long with some other things, I had some stresses that happened, which also um, opened up that portal for illness to come in because it, illness will come and affect the weakest area of your body, hmm. um, which, is, which is another fascinating, amazing thing. So that's why we have people that have heart issues or arthritic issues or mental issues or nervous issues or just, you know, whatever is it, it, that's the, the weakest part of the body. So well-being is to keep all of that mind, body, spirit in balance so that you can stay healthy and well. Well, and, and you, you started this company called blissful living for you, the number four, the letter U, and you talk about it being about wellness, wisdom, and wealth. Yes. And you talked a moment ago about mind, body, and spirit. So can you share with us, what does that actually look like? Like, how are you helping people achieve this new balance, these new objectives? Other than, I mean, I get the Ayurvedic foundation. What does this look like for someone? Everybody, I mean, most people say, I'd like to be more well, more wealthy, and more wise. <laughs> right. It's not like you're, you're not like, you're not selling something. People go, oh, God, I don't want that. Right, right, right. Oh no, stay away from me. So, so over my years, and even just as my own journey with my health and well-being, uh, my business, and then my mindset, which is quote unquote wisdom, um, I realized that those really are the pillars, and um, those are the pillars that we need to have balanced, so that we can step into living the life of our dreams. And when we have those pillars balanced, we are in complete essence of a complete well-being for us in our life, okay? So wellness is always the one that I focus on first because no matter what, I'll ask people if they have issues and they'll be like, oh no, I'm, I'm good, okay? But I'm looking at you, you could, you're overweight. Are you on any medications? Oh, well, yeah, I take, you know, well, if you're taking medications, then you're not good. Because, and I'm, and I'm gonna tell you, put it off the bat right now, I'm hugely anti-pharmaceutical, even though I'm this registered nurse that, you know, is a kick-ass kick type of nurse, kick-ass chick. I'm hugely anti-pharmaceutical because I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And I know that's a multi-trillion dollar industry and they're not into the cure, they're into the signs and symptoms. And, and that's why we have, that's why things are where they are. So that's my, my little take on that. But um, I always tell people, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, well, and so we work on some things because I think 
a lot of people have some issues and sometimes they're embarrassed to mention it. Um, sometimes they don't even realize that they have an issue, you know, with their health and well-being. And then I say, well, what would you like to do? What would you like? Would you like to take those five blood pressure medications? No, 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 girls making me fat or whatever. I'm, you know, well, let's, you know, so it's a process. And I'm just using that as an example. Of course, I always have everybody check with their healthcare professional because I'm not a doctor. Um, but we work on what we figure out, what we decipher, what I extrapolate out of them is something they want to work with their well-being and their, their health. Um, when it comes to mine, um, there are so many people that will tell me that they are already fearless. And I'm like, really? So explain to me what that is. Nine times out of 10, um, they're not really fearless. They're stuck in a job that they actually hate. They stay at that job because they're afraid to, to, to go do something else. Well, yeah. right there, you're, you just said the word afraid. You have some fear in you. So then we bring that out and we, we open that. That's another, just another aspect where we open that up as well. And then with wealth, um, as I say, wealth is your great, uh, wellness is your greatest wealth, right? It's your greatest asset you have. But wealth, believe it or not, means to people a lot of different things. A lot of people hear the word wealth and they think money. Some people think wealth is, you know, just having nice and, um, you know, a nice plant, plot of a nice house and a place to live. Some people think wealth is the love they get in their children or their grandchildren, their family. Some people think wealth is um, being surrounded by a bunch of friends. And it, it, you know, some people think wealth is just having wearing some, you know, the little Chanel red bottom shoes with that, you know, <laughs> you know, ten thousand dollar leather suit on with that sixty thousand dollar Birkin bag. You know, and and so wealth means a lot of different things to people. And I like wanna, a definition of success. Right, exactly. And I want to share this story, and I'm not going to name the person, but you guys will probably be able to figure it out. When I was in clinical practice um, in the, I want to say, mid to late 90s, maybe early, I was still dibble and dabble and play because I want to keep my skills up. And I had the pleasure of taking care of this gentleman, not once, but twice. The first time he was, had just been diagnosed, and, um, but he was still feeling good runs one of the major companies that we utilize the technology today. Um, and we had this great conversation. Now he's the, he's the man, right? He's the top dog, the visionary part, part one or two of the two that found this company. And we had this great conversation and he just was so enlivened and he thought I was like a kid. Um, and we just had a really good conversation. And I asked him about some things with regards to the wealth in his company. And he said, that's great, but look at where I am today, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in here with you. And so he went on and continued working and doing his thing. And then years later when he was really sick and there was no, no, no returning to a point of state of well-being at all, I had the pleasure of taking care of him again. And he remembered me and he said, girl, I remembered you and I always remember what you say. And I always remember our conversations and how you made me laugh. And um, how you really made me think about things that I didn't think about when it came to what my greatest asset was, which is my health and well-being. Now that I don't have it, and now that I can't get it back ever, I'm on a trajectory to die. I hear your words in my head all the time. He said, I would give you all the money I have today if I could be as healthy and well and as vibrant as you. And I said, well, let's try it. <laughs> But it didn't happen. The gentleman ended up passing away. Um, but it was just a very profound because 
he said when he first started his business with his partner, they didn't even think about feeling healthy right. and you know what I mean. Right. And it was it's sometimes um, when you don't have it or you can't get it anymore, it becomes the most profound thing that you want and need. And yeah. I think about how we're suffering in COVID right now, and it's like if you haven't or with any disease, I'm saying if you haven't had a personal experience with it, you're way detached from it. But once you have a personal experience, it becomes you have a whole different take on it. And I yeah. think that's what happens with people really when it comes to health and well-being. And they just think body, but it's mind and spirit as well. Well, to that point, right now, you know, as we're in COVID, we have the physical scares of of actually getting the virus, but then there's there's the emotional impact and the psychological impact that we have with that. And I'm seeing a lot more people that are having issues with just being able to deal with life. And I, I think that the subscription rate for um, psycho, psycho drugs has gone significantly up. And so how do we, how do we deal with that? What are the, the ways that you would say from an Ayurvedic perspective to deal with that? Um, great question. I, I think you're right. Um, I just want to put something out there as well. When I became a nurse, it was before they even had a diagnosis or a name for what AIDS was. Hmm. So I was, I was in a, in a zone kind of like how we are to unexplored people were dying from all these weird things. Oh, wow. You know, I, 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 it wasn't until a few years later that they had this AIDS became AIDS and then they figured out the human um, uh, HIV virus is what caused AIDS. Okay, mm. So I could totally relate to how people are feeling with regards to COVID today. And I think some of the things that people can do, and they seem so simplistic, but sometimes the most simplistic things are the most beneficial to mm. us, right? Yep. The most simplistic things. And so what I share with people is if you're having that kind of day, step outside of your house. You don't have to interact with anybody. Right. Step outside and just thank God or, you know, whoever you worship, but thank that being for allowing you to be able to step outside and mm. breathe the fresh air and feel yeah. that sunshine on your skin. And as you know, they're coming out saying that vitamin D is a yep. key. Okay. Guess what? You can get vitamin D naturally by spending <laughs> just 15 minutes out in the sun. Yep. Okay. People don't realize that. Like, particularly women my age, you know, we need that because our bones become brittle and, and hard anyways. So if you're having some issues, just go outside. Let nature just take its course. Listen to the birds. Look at the squirrels. Feel the sun on your face. Breathe in some fresh air because there are a lot of people that can't do that. That's yeah. something to be very, very grateful for. Simplistic, but very, very profound, right? I totally yeah. agree with with gratitude. And oh. Jeff and I are are big and taking walks and getting outside as well. Yes, and the walk thing. You know, I um there was a point in time where no none of us could go to the gym. I'm a gym rat. I've mm -hmm. been doing it for a long 30 plus years, but there's been a time where we couldn't go to the gym. And it was, I'm like, okay, my gym is my outlet, my creativity, my stress, my let the fire out, right? So how I fixed that, start taking a walk. I started with 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It became one mile, two mile. And I did that every day. Yep. And I'm getting that, that warmth on my skin, breathing that fresh air. Didn't need to wear masks when I'm walking by myself. I'm getting my cardiovascular system so things are moving. My muscles are moving. I'm not getting stagnant. I'm burning calories. 
because you know there's a time when people were indulging in libation and a lot of food, right? But during that whole time, um, just by doing those, again, simple, just by doing those simple little things, I gained no weight. During that six months, I couldn't get to the gym. I stayed healthy and fit. And, and I felt fabulous. I felt fabulous. I, you know, so that's another thing, going out for a walk. The other thing is I always say meditation. I'm a, I'm a, a, a certified meditation specialist and been doing it since I was a kid, learning how to run the 400 meters as a track and field athlete. Huh. Um, yeah, my coach, person on my path, um, shared, shared it with me. Um, thought it was weird, but I did it. Um, but meditation is something simple. You don't need to spend 30 minutes, an hour, 20 minutes. If all you have is a minute and you're sitting at your desk, just whoo, sit there, take in some nice deep breaths, close your eyes, do that for a minute, and then get back on with your day. You'll be amazed. Something so simple as that will release things that are in you, help restore some kind of balance if you're having one of those kind of days, and um, the creativity and the innovation that will flow out of you and the productivity, will it will be phenomenal. And you can do three minutes, five minutes, however you want to do it, and you can schedule it on your smart device. I right? know. This This even has the, uh, exactly. you know, the Breathe app. Keep, keep track of your... Um, um, your heart rate and all of that. Our technology is amazing, scary, but it's amazing. But, you know, so it's like these simple little things that you can do. Um, and hey, who cares if we can't get with people right now, right? You can Zoom them, you can FaceTime them. I know it's not the same as being able to touch them and give your girl a hug or fence pump or high five when, you know, LeBron James hit post up and make that monster jam in the middle. Ah. <laughs> you know, you can still have the interaction. Like I'm in, you know, I'm in, in San Antonio. My whole entire family is in California. When I want to talk about the game, especially college ball, I call my youngest son, my 30 year. I call him. When I want to, you know, talk about what, you know, girl stuff. I, you know, we Facetime or we or we set up a Zoom meeting, and yeah. you know, and so um, I think sometimes people get so boxed in that they can't see the vision beyond that, you know, dirty window, so to speak. Yeah. And it's like, look beyond the vision of that dirty window. If you have to rub it off by, you know, meditating for a few minutes, rub it off because what comes, what's on the other side is brilliant and it will help to keep your mind and your spirit and your body in balance. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. So, so Rochelle, you've, you, something you've talked about, I'd really love your perspective on, as well as what you share people you work with on this. You talked about the preciousness of life. You talked about the gentleman who we didn't name. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd give him all my money to be well. Uh -huh. You know, there's a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And, and, and it says that no one regrets money you know then no one wants more money they want more time more well-being and then people look at COVID and say you know COVID's a reminder of the preciousness of life 
And we've got it, you know, we, we have just this moment. I don't know how much time I have. But the truth is, in my experience, very small percentage of people act differently. They just say that's true, but they don't change their behaviors. What's the disconnect and how do you help them through that disconnect? They can actually change something. You know what? You're absolutely right. I agree with you. I, I agree with you 100 um, percent. The disconnect. Sometimes it's just. Grabbing that person by the hand, so to speak. In allowing them to experience something that will open them up. So if you tell somebody about something and like, oh, girl, yeah, that's right. But they won't do it or they haven't done it. Well, how can how do you know it's right? Because you haven't experienced it. Let me show you. Let me let me let me take you. Let me take you there. Come walk with me, you know, so to speak. And if it's a Zoom call, like get on, let's let's or FaceTime, let's get on. And I'm going to sit here and we're going to do this together. And we're going to do this together until you are ready to say, I get it. Or you it or or it opens something up for you. That's where I say the disconnect. It's like you standing at home plate, ready to hit the ball. I'm sorry, I got all these sports analogies, but you bring you stand, it. right. You standing at home plate and you're you know posted up, you're ready to you wait for that pitch. And then all of a sudden the pitcher looks like he's getting ready to throw a hard fastball, right? Or a curve, and you step away because you know, you know, you should be standing up at the plate, but what if you miss? What if you swing and you mm. miss? Right? If your batting coach, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna say this is practice, if your batting coach comes out there and takes, takes, you know, how they do it with kids and has the pitcher pitch and you swing and you connect, or you swing a few times, you miss, you miss, and then you swing and you connect, you get the sense, you get the sensation of how it feels to have that piece of wood or metal connect with the ball. And you want to repeat that feeling because it feels oh so good. Who cares if you, the ball, you know, that is a you hit a grounder and it goes to the second baseman, who throws it to the first baseman or the shortstop or whatever. The next time, the more you do it, the further you hit, the more skilled you get at it, the more you can, you know, learn how to have the ball go a certain way. Um, the only reason people still play golf because they have one good shot, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? You know what I'm saying? Or even like golf, exactly. So. It's just helping that person to get comfortable. It's it's new. It's like when you go to the gym, you haven't been to the gym in years, you start going out, you, you start working out that next day, you are sore as heck. You don't want to go. Or sometimes you may not even know what to do, right? But you still go and you look and you watch other people. And then it becomes a point where I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. Or I'm going to bring a girlfriend or boyfriend, a guy friend with me. And we're going to keep doing this. And then it comes where, you know, I need to go to the gym because it feels so good. Your body feels good. You start seeing the results. You've got clarity of the mind. Um, or even just, like I said, taking that simple walk outside. You know, if you're afraid to do something and you know somebody else has something you want or you need and you know you need it, ask that person to grab your hand and take you along their journey until you can get comfortable with knowing what you need to do for you. Boy, so many people are, are pretty awful at asking for help. Oh, <laughs> and yet it's, it's one of those things that so many people want to help yeah. if somebody would ask. It's true. I am guilty. I'm, I'm one of those kind of people um, that I do find it difficult to ask for help. Um, but if I don't know something, and this is the type A perfectionist in mm -hmm. me, I want to, you know, I want to know it and I want to yeah, know right. it. So if I don't know something, 
I'll just bow down to myself and like, you know what? Ah, how I came to you, Craig. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like, I, I don't know this. It's going to take too much time for me to learn it. I want somebody to help me. And, yeah. and that's okay. That's okay. That's the beauty about it. It's okay. It's never wrong. It's just, it happens when it's supposed to happen and when it's meant to happen for you. You yeah. connect with the right people. Well, I, I want to explore something that came up in, the, in your introduction actually, Rochelle, and you've said it a number of times, and uh, I'll, I'll throw my spin on it. I always react to this phrase. You, you repeatedly said being fearless. Hmm. So my belief is when someone says to me they're fearless, I don't believe them because I don't believe, first of all, I don't believe in, I don't believe in the permanent state of fearless. I think everybody has fear. I think the issue is what do I do with it? Am I held back by my fear? And I think, I think it became epidemic proportions in 2020 because my experience was a lot of people were afraid and making decisions from fear, but they were saying, I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. This is just logic. And I, when I make fear decisions and I think they're not, I think I make bad decisions. So can you speak to what does fearless mean to you and how do you help people navigate fear differently versus just saying, I'm never afraid. I'm- okay, perfect. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because fearless to me does not mean that we're not ever afraid. Okay. It's what you do the moment you realize that you're afraid that determines if you're fearful or fearless. If you have confidence, if you have courage to push past that fear, then you become fearless. We all have it. I remember, um, here's the thing. I do not like mice. I have no idea why I don't like mice. They're cute little creatures. And it's the funny thing. The pets the, in the pet store, I have no problem with. The ones that you might see in a house or something, I have a problem with. Right? <laughs> okay, I have a problem. I don't know why. But, you know, um, when my kids went off to college, I was living in, in, in the house, big old house by myself. For a little bit, and um, and there was a and I had a cat, and my cat was really good, but there was a mouse that got in the house, and I seen it, and I was like, oh shoot, I'm so scared of those things. So I tried to get the cat, and the cat was, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to do this. Set a little mouse trap. I'm sorry, it's not the most humane thing, but I didn't, you know, I set a little mouse trap because I didn't want them to die off the Coumadin and and decon foregone. Um, just wanted it to be quick, and the trap snapped. Like, oh, I'm so scared. I was, you know, and you guys would have seen I was doing the little dance. I had, you know, gloves, my surgical gloves on. But I pushed it to fear because I'm like, either I can let this stay here, it's gonna start rotting and smelling. I can't guarantee my cat's gonna be one to come in and take the dead, dead broken out. Or I can pass through this as dead. It's not gonna do nothing to me. It never was. Let me pick this up and dispose it properly. And so that's what I ended up doing. I picked it up. And not only did I didn't just throw it away because here's the compassionate part of me. I dug a little hole in my backyard. I took the took it off the trap and let it drop in the hole. I threw the trap away and I buried the little mouse. And so, you know, I could have stayed stuck in my fear of whatever. And I have no reason why I, I don't know why I'm afraid of mice like that. Uh, probably my mom. <laughs> probably my mom. But um, or I could have, you know, moved forward with courage and confidence, knowing that this this is a dead thing. It's not going to hurt me. 
same thing with business decisions. You know, there was times where um, I was working on uh, with a large customer, um, a multi a multi year <laughs> contract with them, and it was like a five million dollar contract. It was my first time, you know, and it you know they were asking for some things, and I was trying to be like a hard ass, so to speak. And I realized, like, why am I being what what am I afraid of? You know, they've already guaranteed the money. They already guaranteed us um, autonomy. So what am I afraid of? That back, let it go. And the deal was like, I'm like, okay, girl, step over yourself. Step past the fear because it's not, it's not real. It's just something you conjuring up in your head. Exactly. There's no evidence of it. And go with the flow. Be confident and courageous and kill it and have your company kill it so that they want to renew for another five years, which they did. But again, it's just... Um, it's something we all have. I, you know, there's so many stories I have. The first time I took care of, went into a code blue, and that was my patient. Mm. Coming in, you know, lights and sirens, and they're doing CPR on this patient. And me having to get three IV lines in this person that, you know, I perceive to be dead, you know, and, and helping the physician to run the code and to do everything and push the drugs and all of that. This person came, we saved this person's life. We worked on this wow. person. I don't know how they, you know, did, but we saved their lives and we were able to get them. I was able to get them up to ICU, but it was going to be a high. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh, it's a, it's a great high. But the <laughs> fear was, you know, what if I don't get the IV lines in or what, you know, am I going to yeah. let them stop me? What if the doctor starts yelling at me? He wasn't. He was real cool. Great guy. But, you know, it's all of that. Um, what if this person dies? What if this person really dies? This is my first code. You know, this could be called into a clinical, this could be called court, right? And then everything I document back time we were writing charting, everything I document can be summoned into court. So, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, so you got to push past it because it really is false. As they say, false evidence appearing real. It's not real until you either make it real um, or uh, let it stop you from um, stepping forward. Well, I think you you identified a really key question. In the course of that, what you shared, Rochelle, you said you asked yourself, what am I afraid of? And I think it's an important question because sometimes that the answer to that question is what allows me to get through it because I can get more clear on what I'm actually yeah. afraid of and deal with it versus what I think I'm afraid of. Yeah. And, you know, so the, the mouse was a, sort of an example, but it can also be a metaphor. And I'm a little curious, I'm going to ask you this, with the mouse, were you, you were afraid of it when you saw the mouse alive mm -hmm. when it was dead were you still afraid of it where or was it a different feeling no i was still afraid of it because <laughs> i'm so I'm, i don't want to say I, I'm, I was so silly but i know i was still afraid of it and i think i was afraid of it because the actual fact i actually had to deal with discarding it and i had to pick it up and i had to see how you know the trap had got it and I had to look at the, the tail was like the most creepiest thing. So, and then I'm like, well, what if it's playing possum and it's not really dead? You know how sometimes you hit a, a fly and you think they're dead and they get back up and they start flying around you again a few minutes later. What if it's playing possum? Ridiculous, right? It was all stuff. I knew the mouse was dead. like it could eat you. No. no well, <laughs> well, but I, I think, I think that's important because that example highlights to me that you actually may have been afraid of two different things. You're afraid of one thing when it's alive, but I'm afraid of something different when it's dead and I'm dealing with it. And I think that the whole thing about false evidence appearing real, like I believe that a lot of people are afraid of insects and things like that, yeah. not because of that moment, 
like they look at the mouse and say the mouse the mouse isn't going to do anything right now but if that mouse is here what might happen with that mouse when i don't see it coming like is that mouse going to run across my bed when i'm sleeping oh. so like the fear is about this unknown <laughs> which is what fear tonight. is fear is about the unknown if you know right. about it you know people say i'm not af I'm, I'm afraid of the known well no you're, oh, right. you're not you're afraid of the part of you know but the unknown part of what you know yeah. right that's what fear is and i think so I, I love your question because a lot of people say am i afraid and i think that's a horrible question because typically our answer is yep nope i'm not afraid must be something else mm -hmm. especially when it's life stuff and business stuff and decisions uh, why are you procrastinating what are you afraid of oh no no i'm not afraid yeah, probably are. That procrastination is, to me, not yeah. a thing. Yeah. It's an outcome of some sort of fear, doubt, or uncertainty. Yeah. And if I keep saying it's just procrastination, how am I going to get through it? Because I didn't deal with the issue. So I love that you're asking yourself those questions. This is, this is so rich, and I, I know it's so valuable to people who are listening. Uh, as we wrap up, I want to make sure we give you an opportunity to share more about something that's going on for you. I, I'm going to guess it's Unstoppable Woman. So tell us what's going on with that. And it's coming up soon. So the Unstoppable Woman Summit um, initially was all happening in 2020, and I had selected six cities. Unfortunately, we had to do it virtually. And so this third summit um, is the, vir the third virtual summit, and it's going to be a combination of speakers from um, San Antonio, uh, San Jose, Detroit, Michigan, and I in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. I'm just saying that those cities, because those were the main cities, but they're probably from the areas in that, those states. And so um, happening Saturday, uh, February 27th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, you have some phenomenal speakers. They are killing it. We um, actually did some um, uh, podcast interviews on on blissful the blissful living show about and so you can hear a little taste of these ladies they talk about self-care and how we women need to step into self-care and you know women the whole event was me this 30 plus year journey that i've had being pretty much the lone ranger on my journey when it came to business um and always wanting to empower young women women middle age my age and older to step into doing what we are here to do so it's about connecting and empowering and inspiration, motivation, strengthening, networking. Um, it's phenomenal. And the, the other two that have happened, which were speakers from San Diego, where I had the, the male speaker in Washington, D.C., these people, these ladies and gentlemen have really formulated a connective bond and they want to help each other elevate. And so this last one is um, Again, just information about emotional intelligence and what that is and how unstoppable women need to use that. Self-care, what about tapping into the wisdom and, and connecting with your divine intuition to help guide you? Um, learning how to be a person that goes from wanting to start a business to actually taking that big leap and stepping into owning a business. If you wanna be all over the place, the girl shares with you how you can be all over the place in the media um, for cheap or for i should say for zero to to cheap it, it would blow your mind um there's a gal that talks about her journey of over figuring out that she needed to overcome her own self so that she can step into being fierce fearless and unstoppable and she went from being 250 plus pounds 
to being a fitness guru and an advisor and a writer for a major fitness magazine. And mm. she's absolutely gorgeous. And on top of her story, she went through a divorce and she has three children that are autistic and she's killing it. Wow. And so those are just some of the speakers that will be talking on um, sharing the words of wisdom with us on Saturday, February 20th. Fantastic. We will share that in the show notes. Well, how and, do people find free. that? It's how free. do people find that? They can go to um, www.unstoppable-women-summit.com. It's a cool. fabulous page, fabulous site that's been created. has information about the Women's Veterans Alliance and how we're supporting them. Um, a lot of stuff you can apply to be a speaker for another event. You can um, get your free virtual ticket. You can share the information. You can see specific information about each of the speakers that will be speaking that day. Um, yeah, great, great, great. And it should be shared with all women because, fellas, I don't know if you're aware of this. 2021 is the year of the woman as we have our female vice president and we are really women have have come a long way since 1918 to 2021 we've gone from not being able to vote to (laughs) vote and now we've got a female vice president so that's a phenomenal it is exciting yeah so that's the event how do people get in touch with you or connect with you rochelle they can, I'm all over the place. I'm on social media, Rochelle Lawson. Um, my website, Blissful Living, the number four, the letter U.com. I have some really good um, freebies, especially a, around a lot of what we talked about today. If you look at a Build Your Millionaire Blueprint, I got freebie for you. If you want to see how toxic you are, I got a freebie for you. If you um, want to find out what your body type is, and if you're full of fire like me, I got a for you for that too. Um, but you can connect with me there. You can email me at info at uh, blissful living, the number four, the letter u.com. Um, right. Yeah, but I would say go to the site. That's probably the best bang for your buck to, uh, to get in well, contact. We will put all of that in the show notes. We always wrap up with a question or two, and I love getting to choose. So uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is I want you to assume that you get a chance to have dinner with someone living who are you having dinner with and what's the one question you're going to ask them so having dinner um a nice either bottle of red wine from avignon or uh italy uh and the person that's sitting next to me or on the side, other side of the table is phenomenal Badass chick, Michelle Obama. <laughs> yeah. And what are you going to ask her? What's that one pressing question you're going to ask her? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> so think about that. Um, the one pressing question I would ask her is, what was one of the most difficult things she handled handle when her husband was president hmm. and how she handled it? Awesome. Thank you for that. And the other question, I'm going to change a little bit because of what you shared throughout our conversation. I think we have a movie question, but I'm going to make it specific to sports. Okay. <laughs> what I want to know, what sports-related movie speaks most to you or a scene or character, whatever it is, about leadership? Sports movie. 
tell. Oh, there's so many. I know. Uh, I can't think of the name. There's two. First one would be Brian's song because mm-hmm. I saw that when I was a kid. The wow. original, I hope. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. With um, yeah, um, and I, that 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 was just um, I think that's where the empathy and the compassion for another individual just. I mean, that was just a phenomenal movie. Hmm. Um, the other one is when I can't think of, but you guys probably know it's when Denzel Washington is coaching. Remember the Titans. Yes, remember the Titans. And my son, my son was, he played football at that time. And when that movie came out, they were getting ready to go compete in the California state championship for his, his age group. And so the coaches took them to that movie and then, (laughs) you know, and it was great. And they ended up, it was called the Super Bowl. They ended up winning the Super Bowl. And so I think um, that movie to me um, was definitely about leadership and stepping into your greatness and coming together as a team. Mm. I have had this successful telecom company for 30 years, but it's not me. I couldn't have did it without my team. I'm nothing without my team. I can spew out a lot of stuff, but my team with my blissful living for you. I have wonderful components such as Craig and you guys helping me. You guys are my team. I can't be the phenomenal queen of feeling fabulous without my <laughs> team. You guys allow me to step into that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, I think the true gift of being a leader is knowing when you can't do it all and you bring others that share your vision that uplift you so that you can shine like you're supposed to. Well, thank you, Rochelle. This was an awesome conversation. I know uh, I'm wiser because of it and inspired because of it and grateful you're with us today. Yep. Thank you so much, you guys. This has been so much fun. I, yeah. I, I appreciate it and uh, I feel very blessed and I'm very humble and have much gratitude and love in my heart for both of you. <laughs> Great. Great to have you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.